Amen. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? You know why it sounds so simple? Because it is that simple. We're the ones that make it so hard. And myself included. Well, as Josh said, we're closing up the book of Galatians. At least for this study. I pray that you don't close it up in your hearts. Because there, as we have learned, as we went through these chapters, Paul had a lot to say. And there was a lot of power in what Paul had to share. And he opened this letter with the prayer that Josh read this morning, and he closes it with the prayer that we're going to study now. And in this prayer, he gives a blessing to the Galatians. A powerful blessing. And that's the blessing that we want to look at this morning. And I want to first ask the question to you, what is a blessing? When I looked at the definition online, it says to confer prosperity or happiness upon someone. And that's what Paul is pouring upon the Galatians church. What he is pouring upon us as we read, as we read this letter, as we study this letter to the Galatians. And as we study that blessing this morning, I first want to get some perspective. And as we get perspective, I want to relate something to you. And I don't know how many of you have, you have been to London. I have not. I've actually only been out of the country one time. And that was for about 15 minutes, and that was by mistake. And that's a whole other story in itself. And the border guard let us back in, even without passports, but that was the grace of God. But I might as well tell you the story, don't leave you wondering. We were at Niagara Falls, and uh, we were just sightseeing, and we were headed to our hotel. We were driving around the city of Niagara a little bit. It was with Amanda and her family. And we drove up to the border crossing into Canada and we were just chatting with the guard and he said, what are you guys doing? I said, we're just sightseeing. We said, we're just sightseeing and he said, we just chatted a little bit and said, well, can we just go ahead in? He said, sure. Never looked for passports, anything. He was really nice. <laughs> we got into Canada and we drove around a little bit and we drove down the, the border a little bit and we found another crossing to come back in. The official for the United States government was a little more thorough. And he made sure we were good and scared before he granted us permission to go back into the country. I think it was his means of seeing how, how serious we were or basically how confused we were, I think. But praise the Lord, he did let us back in, and it's a nice little story to tell. So uh, enough of that. I don't know how many of you have been to London. I think that's why I got off on that rabbit trail, right? <laughs> okay. There is a place in London called Charing Cross. And it is what they consider the geographical center of the city of London. It's known as the cross for short. And this cross is the point at which all distances in London are measured from. It, like I said, it's the geographical center of the city of London. Well, there's a story related um, in a news article where there was a lost child. It was picked up by a bobby. I guess that's what they call their police officers, their, their uh, deputies over there. And this child was picked up and he had no idea where he was. And he was trying to tell this Bobby how to get him back to his house. And he had no point of reference that he could think of from the point where they were at. He was lost. He had no clue where he was or how to get home from where he was. But he finally told the officer, he said, well, take me back to the cross and I can find my way from there. And what a powerful analogy that is to us. Take me to the cross. Take me to the cross of Jesus. You know, when we feel lost and confused in our Christian lives, in, in life in general, when we're wandering aimlessly, 
how do we, how are we grounded again? We go back to the cross. We remember the message of the cross. And that's the message that Paul's been relating all the way through this book to the Galatians, this letter to the Galatians. And that's the message that we're wrapping up in this closing prayer of blessing here this morning. You see, the cross is the point at which men become reconciled to God. It's the baseline. It's the foundation. It's where we begin to build our lives, our lives on faith. Faith in the message of that very cross. You see, if we are to find our way to God, if we are to find that victory, to find that restoration, we must first come to the cross. The only road sign that will do us any good is the one that points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the message that Paul has had all the way through this letter, and that's the, mes- that's the message that he is concluding today as we look at these verses. We will be reading the last three verses of Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 16. So, Daryl, whenever you're ready. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for this truth this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that Paul has conveyed to us throughout this letter. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study it, the opportunity to believe it, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you will continue to give us the strength, this clear spiritual vision to go back to the cross, Lord. When this world is so chaotic, when this world can be so wearying, Lord, that we can remember to go back to the cross. Go back to the cross in our hearts, Lord, and remember that you did it. We don't have to do it. The only reason that we are weary and exhausted is because we have allowed the lie of Satan to distract us and to make us believe that it is up to us when it's not. It all depends on the message, the gift, the gospel, the message of the cross, Father. We pray that you would guide us through this text this morning, open our hearts and our minds to the truth that you have for us, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we look at this text, it's just three short verses, but there's a lot of truth in it. There's a lot of blessing in it. We want to look at what those blessings are this morning, and that we want to see the prerequisite to receiving this this blessing. As Paul starts the first verse in our text, he says to walk by this rule. What is a rule? And the Greek word behind it is canon. I can pronounce that one. But the Greek word behind it is canon, and it's basically a standard. And in the context of this letter, we believe that he is referring to the, to the standard that he has just laid out in these six chapters. The standard of, it's by grace and by grace, by faith alone that you are saved. Not by works, but by grace, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the standard that he has laid out, and that's the standard that he's telling them. If you walk by this, if you walk by this, then these blessings will be yours. And he tells them to walk by this standard. And defining that standard a little farther, it's basically that no one can be saved without being created anew, without having a new heart, without being redeemed. We are redeemed by the message of the cross. We are rejuvenated. We are made new. 
Not because of anything we do, but because of simply the message of the cross. We get a brand new heart, as I said. He takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. He takes our sin nature. He crucifies it. Remember, crucifixion is a slow death. And that's what the analogy, that's what Paul's telling them. You're not going to just instantly be free of the sin. It's a crucifixion. It's a process. But it's a beautiful process. It can be painful at times. But when you come out on the other side, it is an amazing gift. It's an amazing blessing. And remember, we cannot save ourselves. That's also the standard. That's what Paul's been pounding into them, into us throughout this letter. We can't do it under our own strength. That's the power of the cross that does it in us. Redemption is through the sacrifice of Christ and through the sacrifice of Christ alone. By grace alone. Like I said, he says walk by this rule. Live by this rule. Trust in it. Don't don't try to do it under your own abilities. Walk by this rule. Walk by grace. Understand, walk in the truth that God has it. And again, when we are walking by grace, that doesn't give us the freedom to do whatever we want to do. When we are truly under grace and living by grace, our heart's desire is to live a life of obedience to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means that the commands that Christ has set out, our heart's desire will be to follow those commands. When we are living a... Remember we talked about the works of the flesh and, and, and habitually living out those manifestations of the sin nature. What, is, what does Paul say about those people? They will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. They will not inherit the kingdom of God because their hearts are not turned toward God. No, we're not talking about grace as a ticket to go live a sinful life and whatever you do, God's got it covered. Now, grace is the power by which we live. And when we truly live by grace and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our heart will be turned toward God. We will have a desire to live an obedient life. Does that mean we'll always live the obedient life? No, because we are crucifying. Our our flesh is being crucified. We are learning to crucify our flesh. And we have to do it sometimes over and over again. So I want to emphasize again that grace is not a ticket to sin, a ticket to do whatever you want to do to feed your flesh. If you do that, you are not under grace. It's that simple. It's a matter of trusting in Jesus and putting our full trust in Him. That's what walking in the Spirit is. Trusting Him to meet our every need, to fulfill our needs, to love us, to carry us. That's what walking in the standard is. Walking in the rule is. As we said, when we talked about Charing Cross in London, you start with the cross. You start with the message of the cross. And you understand really what that did for us. And you allow the Spirit to build on that. And to mature you, to grow you from that point. Not from any standard that God has set. Just think about that little boy lost in London. He had a lot of he could have had advice from that police officer, but the police officer they had a problem. The police officer had no idea where the boy needed to go. And the police but the police officer knew where the little boy was. The police officer, I mean the little boy had no idea where he was, but he knew where he wanted to be. Well there was no connection between the two. There was no common ground between those two truths. But how often is that true in our spiritual life when we're trying to we try we think we need we know what someone needs. And we can't relate to them. 
Well, the way we relate to them is we take them to the cross. We may not have ever lived the circumstances that they're living. We may not understand the temptation that they're facing. We may not understand the trial that they're going through, but Jesus does. So when we're witnessing to someone, when we're discipling someone, we need to take them to the cross. Not to some man-made program or man-made process, but to the cross. And we can relate to them when we start with the cross. Who is Paul talking to in, this, in these closing verses? Well, he points it out. He first says, all who walk by this rule, all who walk by this standard. And he also, in the closing of the first verse, says, and the Israel of God. See, he compares the Gentiles, basically who he's talking about, all who walk by this rule, to the promise that was given to the children of Israel, the promise that was given to Abraham, Abraham is the Israel of God. Again, not only those who were born, who were biological descendants of Abraham, but to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Back in chapter 3, verse 7 of Galatians, it says, It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse, chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, not excluded by anything. The promise to Abraham was that all nations will be blessed through you. That's the promise that God made to Abraham. How were they blessed? They were blessed by Jesus Christ, a descendant through the lineage of Abraham through the children of Jacob, through the children of Israel. And guess what? What Paul told us in these verses in chapter 3 was we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into that promise. That's the blessing of faith. It's the blessing of the cross. And it's done through Christ, through the sacrifice of Christ. Well, that's the prerequisite. What is the effect of walking in this prerequisite? What is the effect of walking in this truth, in this rule, in this standard that Paul has laid out? Well, he tells us that by following this rule, peace and mercy are ours. Peace and mercy. And we want to look a little more in detail this morning exactly what peace and mercy are. You know, the text that Josh read, Paul has similar text, but he used different words. He didn't use peace and mercy. In those opening five verses, he used grace and mercy. And this whole book was about grace. And he's going to close, you see, in the, in the final verse of the chapter with, with grace, with bringing them the word of grace again. But as I said, in this text, he, he, in the blessing, he goes to peace and mercy. This, basically, by grace, is how that... Mercy is communicated to us and peace is obtained. You see, by their nature, that's what... Mercy is a, is a communicated thing. You give someone mercy by, 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 not, by not giving them what they deserve. We're going to talk about that a little more. Peace is something that is obtained. It is a state of being. And these are the things that Paul is talking about. It, 
looking at peace, when you think of peace as a state of being, it is the absence of turmoil. Peace is the absolute absence of turmoil. If you think about looking at a body of water, when do you call water peaceful? It's when there are little to no waves. There's nothing making that water move. There's times when you look at a body of water when there's no wind, it just looks like a sheet of glass, doesn't it? That water is at complete rest and peace. A day is peaceful, we think, when there are no storms. When there's nothing but just large, fluffy, white, soft clouds in the sky. There's no storms around. Maybe just a gentle breeze. Nice, perfect temperatures. We think of that as a peaceful day, don't we? In both cases, there's absence of turmoil. There's absence of disruption. But the reality is, we don't live in a peaceful world, do we? So how can you say that by grace we're given peace when we don't live in a peaceful world? We're in a world that's surrounded by murders. We're in a world that is so many drug drug addicts, so much violence, so much death. We were just talking this morning again about the turmoil over in the Middle East with ISIS and the horrid tragedies that are being afflicted on people over there by other people. Those aren't peaceful things, are they? If you're living in the midst of those things, it's complete ter- it can, can be complete terror and turmoil. So how can you have peace in the middle of all of that? And you think about, you know, we're looking at that on a big scale. What about in your day-to-day life? In your job, is there strife? Is there turmoil? Do people disagree about things? And it seems like there's a lot of people who are always argumentative or upset or angry or complaining. Maybe even within your home, within your marriage, with your children, it's like somebody at times is just always at each other. And you say, there's no peace in my home. Is there really not? You see, the peace of God is peace despite our circumstances. Satan wants us to believe, oh, there is no peace because all of these horrible things are going on. Now, the peace of God is a peace despite what we're facing. The peace of God is a peace despite the threat of death by murder as those people in the Middle East are facing. The peace of God is a peace despite turmoil within your marriage. The peace of God is a quietness within your soul despite the strife that is going on between your co-workers at your job. The peace of God is independent of our circumstances. It's a supernatural peace. It's a peace in the midst of storms. We tend to think that we want the storms to just go away. That's the only way that there's going to be peace. No, there are storms in this world. That's not how God originally intended it. I know we had the Creation Museum speaker here a couple weeks ago. I don't know how many of you have the opportunity to go to the Creation Museum in Cincinnati yet, but when you go into the museum, it takes you basically in a chronological order of the Bible. And the first thing you come into when you enter the, the part of the museum that you tour is the Garden of Eden. And it's so pristine, it's so beautiful, it's so perfect. Nothing is out of place, everything looks beautiful, there's no death, there's no sin, there's no corruption. And then the next scene you go into, you see Adam and Eve, and now they're clothed, and you see Eve's hair, and it's all matted and nasty. And the garden has thorns and thistles and just a result of the fall. And all those things 
they can take your peace away. They can keep you from experiencing peace. But even in the midst of this fallen world, the peace of God is available to us by the grace of God. It's independent of our circumstances. Remember, it's the peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to be peaceful in the midst of some of the turmoils that we face. It doesn't make sense to be peaceful if you were living in the Middle East knowing, not knowing when your next breath may be your last. But there is a peace available to us to make that possible, that we can live in complete rest in knowing that no matter what happens, God has us. That peace is available by the grace of God. I want to relate a couple personal examples. I think I've related to you guys about how I was before I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Some of you may know me from school when I was 14 years or or younger. My blindness was a major thorn in my flesh. I was a very emotional young man. And I interpreted anything that anybody said as a slam to me. I would very easily burst into tears. I was a very emotional young man. And I just felt so disregarded by God. At times I was like, woe is me, why why do I have to be this way? And when I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, a peace came over me. And I'm not going to stand here before you this morning and say that I don't still struggle, struggle at times and think, you know, why do I have to be this way? But there's a peace that came over me when I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that was a supernatural peace. It took that emotional, disastrous heart that was focused on me, and that's what was wrong with it. It was focused on woe is me and why do I have to suffer this? And God said, even though you're still physically in the midst of this, you're still, uh, your eyes don't work as well. Take my peace and understand that no matter what this life brings you, I will walk with you through it. So when some actual teasing did come after that, when trials came, God had put his peace in my heart. It wasn't me. Naturally, I knew what I was capable of. It's who I was before I came to that saving knowledge. But after Christ had my life, Christ was in my heart. I could face those trials with a peace. It's like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how I'm going to go to college for two years I don't know how I'm going to move to Evansville and work in a job and live in an apartment by myself, but God's got it. And that's one testimony of God's peace in my life. And that peace is available to each of us. And there's times I forget that. And another example of God's peace in my life is a much more recent event. Many of you have read the blog that I wrote about the birth of our son. And as I reflect back on that night, and as my wife and I were there in that van and everything was unfolding, there was a peace, a supernatural peace. And for those of you here this morning that don't know the story, things moved a little more rapidly in, in uh, Judah's delivery than we anywhere near expected. And he was delivered in our van in the garage before we made it to the hospital. And it was just me and my wife, so I got the job of delivering the baby. And I tell you that story to catch you up this morning because there was a supernatural peace that came over us that night that is indescribable. My wife and I never raised our voices to each other. The baby was delivered in just a textbook delivery. 
And it was an amazing experience. But why was there peace? Was it because I'm so put together in my flesh that, I mean, I can just handle anything? Absolutely not. That was a supernatural peace that God provided and carried us through that. I'm a blind man in a van, in a cold garage, with no necessary equipment of any kind. I should have had a heart of sheer terror. But I didn't. It was because of, and it wasn't because of me. It was because of the grace of God and His peace. And that peace is available to us no matter what we face in this world. Whether it's delivering a baby. Whether it's facing cancer. Whether it's facing an unreasonable person. Whatever it is, that peace is ours. Remember to go back to the cross and remember the message of the cross. And I don't say those stories to lift myself above anyone this morning. I tell you these stories to give you hope that the turmoil that you're facing, the trial that you're facing, there is peace available to you. Satan is throwing lies at you and telling you that it will never be the same. That, this, that this, whatever you're facing is terrible. And those are lies. What you're facing is terrible. This fallen world is ugly and awful. But there is peace available to you by the grace of God. And I'll tell you this morning, as I said, I am not a naturally peaceful person. I can get pretty stirred up about things. I like to have my proverbial ducks in a row. I like to know what's going to happen. And you can ask my wife, I'm notorious for asking the same question two or three times. I already know what the answer is, but I just want to make sure everybody else knows what the answer is. And that's my flesh. It's because I just, I just get nervous. I get worked up at times. But God's peace is available. And when I remember that, it's just, it's amazing. But God knows that I, I still have some, some, some flesh to be crucified in that. But his peace is incredible. It is such a blessing. And as I said, peace is a state of being. It's a state of being. It, it's, it's a just this amazing rest in your spirit that is not available through anything that man can manufacture, any knowledge that we can obtain. I appreciated your testimony this morning, Merle. I'm sure you could give multiple testimonies as to how the peace of God has came over you in some very difficult situations. I've often said my other vocation is a computer programmer, and there's not a lot of stress in that. Yeah, there's some days if I don't get something done, some people may not get their paychecks or something, but we'll get them out eventually. And if I really screw something up, all I have to do is type the command format, wipe the whole hard drive out, reinstall everything, and start over. Doctors don't have that option. Thank God they don't have that option. (laughs) But there's a lot. Depending on what your vocation is, and many of you who are nurses, nurse practitioners, any of you in the medical field, you know that you have decisions to make each day. And that sometimes, even when you're going to make what may have not been the best decision. It was the best decision you knew how. God still has it. God's sovereign. God's still in control. And that's where his peace comes in to carry us. And that's what gives us the opportunity to walk in the flesh. Walking in the flesh gives us peace. But in return, that peace gives us the ability to walk freely in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Because trusting and knowing that God has it, he's in control of it. So that's the peace. 
The other element that Paul talks about in his blessing is mercy. And I want to introduce mercy as mercy being an act. It's an act of doing something for someone. And mercy is basically, for us, it's not getting what we deserve. You know, often we like to dig in our heels and say, well, this is what I deserve. I want to get my fair share. When we're talking about mercy and the aspect that we're talking about this morning, it's not getting what we deserve. Often you think about the child's game of mercy. I don't know how many of you have played it. There's different ways you can do it. You lock hands and you're trying to basically inflict pain on the other person. And the idea is whoever says mercy first is the loser. And then that person is to give the mercy they're supposed to stop and then they get the reward of being the winner. In that game, we have to ask for mercy. But under grace and by the message of the cross, mercy is, is ours when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Mercy from what? What do we deserve? We deserve what the law gave those in the Old Testament that, for breaking the law. We deserve death. We deserve eternity in hell. That's what we deserve. But by the mercy of the cross, we don't get that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I, Paul, am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, for his glory. That's why. God gave us mercy for his glory. He gave us mercy from the retribution that we should have paid for his glory. Because he loves us that much. You're sitting here this morning, I don't feel mercy. I don't feel mercy. I, I, I feel condemned. I know what I've done. I know what I deserve. I'm a wretched person. I don't deserve mercy. I don't deserve for Jesus to die on the cross. Well, you're right. You don't deserve mercy. It's a gift. And guess what? Why do you not think you deserve mercy? Because you think that other people should get what they deserve. When someone wrongs you, you think they should pay for what they've done. What would happen if we would need to pay for what we've done? There would only be one destination for all of us, and there would be no other choice. But because of mercy, we don't get what we deserve. We don't have to pay for the sins that we've committed. James chapter 2, verse 13. It says, For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You say, but I still don't feel mercy. I, I don't really think other people should get what they deserve, but I still don't feel mercy. I, I still feel condemned. You see, that's what withhold, a lot of times withhold, withholds us from actually realizing the act of mercy is we can't imagine showing mercy to other people, or we fail to show mercy to other people. So it kind of short-circuits our ability to receive mercy when we can't give mercy. That's what he's talking about, the Beatitudes, and that's what James is talking about. 
And you say, but I just feel condemned. Romans 8, chapter 1. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. There is, no, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Christ took what we deserved. There is no condemnation. It doesn't matter how wretched we have been. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's mercy is complete. The debt is paid. The punishment is fulfilled. That's mercy. Perfect, pure mercy. You see, he not only withheld judgment, Christ took the judgment for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He took all the wrath of God that we deserve for our wretchedness and took it to the cross. Why? Because he loved us that much. And for no other reason. And yes, so that he would be glorified. But why? Because he is the only one worthy to be praised. He's the only one worthy of glory. But he in His mercy, took all of our wretchedness to that cross so that we could live eternally with Him and be in fellowship and relationship with Him. Wow. Wow. Going on to verse 17. Paul kind of scolds him a little bit. You know, he's laid out these gifts. He's talked about mercy. He's talked about peace. And now he's telling him, okay, I've laid out this rule. I've told you how you can receive this peace, how, you, how this mercy is available to you, and it's not by works, it's not by your own abilities, it's by the cross, it's by grace alone. And then he tells them, basically, he says, he tells them, now, just stop what you're doing. Stop letting yourselves get distracted by these legalizers. Stop listening to what these Pharisees have to tell you and listen to this standard, to this rule that I've laid out before you. He's telling them to trouble me no more. Do you know how much grief you people have caused me? That's what Paul's saying. And he's not making it about him. He's just telling them again how simple it is. And he kind of tells me, basically says, not in these words, but it's basically what he's telling them is, who cares about your circumcision? Who cares about your following of the law? Your marks are man-made. They're just an outward whitewashed tomb. They're just an outward expression that you've stuck on that doesn't really mean anything. You don't even really understand what it means. But guess what? For I bear on myself, on my body, the marks of Jesus. And these aren't marks that were just superficially attached to the outside of Paul. These are marks that are a result of his heart turned toward God and his faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling me. He said, you take your marks and understand where my marks came from. They came from my act of service for my Savior, Jesus Christ, and by my faith in Him. My marks, he's telling them, are from my devotion to Jesus Christ. And not in an attempt to save me by my marks, but as a result of my faith in the one true God. In my faith of the message of the cross. They are a result of Paul's obedience. He's telling them that their marks, this circumcision, this law that the Pharisees are wanting to put on them, is a result of rituals. It's just a ritual. And in many cases, it it didn't mean anything to those who were doing it. That's the message he was trying to pound into them in verse 17. And then in verse 18, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. 
That's the message of this whole letter. Live by grace. Understand grace. Know what grace is. And all these things will be available to you. So again, I ask you this morning, what is a blessing? Remember, it's to confer prosperity or, prosperity or happiness upon someone. What more than grace will accomplish that in a Christian's life? And it's not prosperity of the things of this earth. It's not prosperity of feeding the flesh. It's a spiritual prosperity of peace and mercy and freedom and eternal life. That's the blessing of prosperity that God has there for us when we believe in Him by faith. Well, what is the standard? The standard, the rule, is that Christ did it and no one else. Take it back to the cross. It's not about us. Without the cross, without the message of the cross, instead of peace and mercy, we would be facing nothing but turmoil and condemnation. But because of the message of the cross, because of grace, we have peace and mercy readily available to us, free-flowing Peace and mercy are ours to have by the grace of God and by grace alone, by nothing else, but by the grace of God. What a beautiful gift that is. I pray this week that as you go into this Thanksgiving week that you are able to reflect on the gift of grace and that you are able to have a heart of thankfulness for the gift of peace and mercy and all the other Fruits of the spirit, fruit of the Spirit that is available to us by the grace of God. What a beautiful gift they are. And as we think about gifts and being thankful this morning, I hope you'll give me the liberties to do something a little spontaneous here this morning. As you know, there, and was mentioned in the announcements this morning, that the children have, and the families have been working hard to build uh, boxes for Operation Christmas Child to send around the world to minister to children in all kinds of, in all different nations, different continents. There's a pile of those boxes out in the foyer that these children have put together. And I've heard stories from different people here who, this is throughout the year, they're collecting things and they're anticipating putting these boxes together. And it is a blessing to see the kids pour their hearts into this ministry. And what I would like to do this morning is invite all the children in here to, when I give you the word here in a little bit, to go out to the foyer. And Amanda is going to go out with you. And if some of the parents want to take your younger children, we want to carry those boxes up front here. We want each of you children to gather a box and, and line up along the front. And we're going to have a prayer of dedication for those boxes. And I want you as a church to observe as these children stand up here, this is the future of our church. And these kids have enjoyed putting these boxes together. Even if you didn't make a box, children, please feel free to go out to the foyer and help carry them in. Be a part of this process. To be a part of sending this blessing around the world. So I'm going to invite the praise team to come ahead up for the song of reflection. And as they're doing that, I want the children... At this point, you can start to file out to the foyer. Amanda's going to meet you out there to help organize it. Any parents who want to go help her organize that. Again, this is kind of a spontaneous spur-of-the-moment thing. So help them get those organized. At the end of the song, I will give them the word, and they will. the children will come up the aisle with the boxes and stand up here, and we'll have a uh, prayer of dedication for these boxes. So thank you. <laughs>